0: Hey folks, what's going on? Um, Quick point I'm making while editing this podcast. I'm currently in the process of editing it. And what's just happened is we have now surpassed 1,000 unique listeners for the student section podcast across all of our platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere we broadcast this podcast onto, we have now surpassed 1,000 people listening to this show. I just wanted to take this quick moment here to thank everyone for the outpouring of support throughout the college football season and remind everyone that this is only the beginning. Once again, folks, thanks for listening. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. All right, folks, happy Friday and welcome in to another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. This is episode number 10, and today is Friday, January 6th, 2023. And remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us online at thestudentsection.net, or you can go follow us on Instagram at Student Section CFB, where the content never ends. We've got 24 7 coverage on both of those platforms. Subscribe to this podcast. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all of your favorite platforms. Download the show, rate it, share it with your friends, and all that good stuff, folks. College football is better with a friend. So with that being said, welcome into the show, folks. It is the biggest week of the year in college football, without a doubt. Today's a big show. We have playoff semifinals to recap. We have a national championship game to preview. Might be a more long-winded episode, but I'm here for it. I've got a lot of interesting facts and stuff in front of me, interesting storylines for the games that we're going to go over throughout the show. And just a quick note, um, next week, or probably the following week, rather, we are going to be making the full-time transition to college basketball on this show as the college football season comes to an end. There's going to be um, some concepts and some, you know, storylines we talk about throughout the offseason in college football, obviously, but the transition to college basketball full-time on the show will be made in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for all that. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. And without further ado, we're going to jump into this show with the recap of of our two playoff semifinals, and then afterwards, we'll preview the big game on Monday between Georgia and TCU. Let's do it. All right, folks, can we just take a minute before we get into the real nitty gritty, you know, the stats and and all the recaps and such, and just take a step back and really say to ourselves, wow, what a great semifinal Saturday that was. I mean... Eight phenomenal hours of football. Easily the best pair of semifinals that we've had in the nine year history of this college football playoff. There's been a lot of blowouts. In fact, this is the first time that both games have been decided by single digits. We had the highest scoring Fiesta Bowl ever. We had that thrilling miss at midnight. It's now being coined by the fans. Some iconic individual moments in both games. That's probably the biggest one. We had some thrilling comebacks in both games. Georgia came back and win. Michigan's comeback fell just short. Just a great day for college football as a whole. And I'm so excited to be, you know, seeing more of this moving forward as we transition to 12-team playoff in the future. I think it's only going to be able to create good matchups and crazy finishes such as these two. Who doesn't want more football, folks? But with that being said... Football won on Saturday, but now we've got two games to dive into, recap, analyze, and I'm not going to waste too much of your time here. Let's jump into the first one, the Peach Bowl between Georgia and Ohio State. It's on the way. No good. He hooked it. And Georgia is going to survive at the stroke of midnight, the first few seconds of 2023. Ohio State falls one kick short. Wow, what a finish to what was really one of the greatest college football games we've ever seen. So I'm going to try to go quick with these semifinal games because obviously there is the national championship that I want to talk about. But let's talk about Georgia first, rallying. From two 14-point deficits, they trailed 21-7, then they trailed 38-24, and for the first time all year, really, or maybe the second time all year, we had to see Georgia battle through adversity, come back in a game, you know, really play from behind. Stetson Bennett handled it tremendously, as I'm sure many people expected he did. But it's always interesting when these teams that are 13-0 going into these playoff games, how are they going to respond to adversity? How are they going to deal with playing from behind? And although Kirby Smart might beg to differ, I think Stetson Bennett handled that game very flawlessly, 398 yards, a trio of touchdowns, and then he rushed for one as well, and then that early interception. But aside from the pick, I mean, Stetson Bennett played a phenomenal game of football, and I think Kirby Smart's really only upset with it. Because Stetson Bennett didn't play within the system and the game plan that Georgia had in mind that game. But for the first time ever, we really saw Stetson Bennett, the improviser, Stetson Bennett really doing his own thing. I mean, this was a quarterback duel for the ages, folks. C.J. Stroud on the opposite side. 23 for 34 for 348 and four touchdowns. Ran the ball a ton as well. I mean, he ended up with 34 rushing yards, but that was weighed down because of sacks. He was killing Georgia with his feet for a majority of this game. And that's what made this duel so entertaining and also brings me to my next point. What happened to Georgia's defense in this game? I mean... I get they're a young, inexperienced defense. We talked about that in the preview leading up to this playoff game, but Georgia did not look like Georgia on the defensive side in this game. I mean, 470 total yards for Ohio State, you know, 41 points. It, it was very out of character to see Georgia struggling to get pressure on the quarterback, struggling to cover these receivers downfield. And I know Marvin Harrison Jr. is no slouch, but you're going to have to face an NFL draft draft. Type receiver in the very next game as well between or with Quentin Johnston I mean the offenses of Ohio State and TCU are very similar so Georgia's really got a week to fix things up front and decide how they want to attack this TCU offensive line that's allowed just eight sacks all season so it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with that front seven that really underperformed in this game against Ohio State. I mean, we had the whole fiasco with Jalen Carter being tired, being fatigued. You know, this is not the Georgia, the big bad Georgia front seven that we have come to know with him, with uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson, with Robert Beal, guys like that. It was very, very odd to watch a team like Ohio State dominate Georgia up front for a majority of this game. I mean, you look at the statistics in this one. Ohio State had more first downs. They dominated possession 32 minutes to 27. They were, for large parts of this game, bullying Georgia up front. Georgia had to beat Ohio State with more of a finesse game, and that's very out of character for them. And I'm very interested to see how they come out against TCU if they try to do that same thing, adopt that same strategy, or if they get back to back to their roots. Okay, so next up is Ohio State and I got to give credit where credit is due. Ohio State came into this game with everything to prove and everything to lose, and they certainly showed everybody that they belonged on that stage. There was obviously a lot of controversy with Alabama who should get that final spot should it be Ohio State who looked terrible in their final game against Michigan in the second half and Ohio State kind of proved that they're still here among this this top class of college football programs and CJ Stroud especially we said his stats earlier really proved that he is moving forward in his career he is an elite quarterback he is an elite NFL draft prospect probably the best player in the draft To me, it's either him or Bryce Young, who also put on a phenomenal performance. But although Ohio State didn't win this game, and I know Ryan Day will tell you that there's no such thing as moral victories, Ohio State shocked a lot of people in this game. I mean, they were touchdown underdogs. Nobody really expected them to come in here and give Georgia a run for their money, but that's exactly what they did. I mean, they had Georgia on the ropes for probably three quarters of this game if not for the crucial timeout, you know, if not for the potential penalty in the end zone. But one thing they also did this game, Emeka Egbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. also showed fans what is to come for this Ohio State team. I mean, Egbuka and Harrison, 112 and 106 yards respectively. Harrison had a pair of touchdowns, uh, touchdowns. And Egbuka had one himself. This is a team that is still going to be here in 2023 it all depends on who's playing quarterback but i don't think they're gonna have issues with the just embarrassment of riches they have at quarterback as far as talent goes so ohio state i I didn't want to spend too much time talking about them and i won't they still have some questions you know on defense in the secondary that were shoddy at times but make no mistake ohio state's here to stay really impressed with their performance let's move on to the other game between michigan and tcu third down and seven here michigan blitzes. Duggan dumps it off short. Quentin Johnston has the first down, and off he goes. They are not going to catch him. No flags. The magic continues for TCU. All right, TCU 51, Michigan 45, and I gotta say, this is another game that when I watch it back, I really gotta take back, uh, take a step back, and just say whoa because this game didn't give you room to breathe there was something crazy going on every other snap it felt like and I will say in the beginning this thing had all the makings of a blowout it really looked like TCU was going to run away with this game they were up 21-6 at halftime and really they weren't even playing a flawless football game and I think Sonny Dykes will be the first one to admit that or Max Duggan you know Michigan was unraveling before their very eyes, it really looked like. Michigan was all out of sorts, and I really think that's because they went away from the identity that has made them who they are all season long. I mean, you know, a jet sweep, Philly special, double reverse, whatever you want to call it, on fourth and goal from the two, when your offense gets five and a half yards per carry this season. You know, you've got a, a running back back there that scored two crucial touchdowns against Ohio State, ran for, what, 200 yards, and you're running Philly specials on fourth and goal. Then you get the ball down to the one on the another drive, and granted it was probably a very bad call that Roman Wilson didn't get the touchdown there, but you give the ball to a converted linebacker who has nine carries all season long. And I, I know Donovan Edwards' hand was hurt, but I mean, it really felt like michigan wasn't michigan in this game it really felt like not that they weren't prepared but that they weren't themselves they didn't play the the brand of michigan football that we've grown accustomed to over the past 13 games and especially in the last two games against ohio state and purdue where they've looked so dominant it was very strange to watch much like georgia michigan was completely out of their element in this one Nonetheless, however, that third quarter was a blast. I don't think anyone really knew what to expect after the first half was so lopsided. As I mentioned, 21-6 heading into the break. And then we get 44 combined points in the third quarter. I mean, what on earth? We had six touchdown drives. None of them lasted More than two minutes and seven seconds. That was the longest scoring drive of that entire quarter. And ultimately, Michigan found themselves down 41 38 at the beginning of the fourth quarter after all that. So, as bad as they played, I think they were right in that game with a chance to win it. And then ultimately, their mistakes really, really were their own undoing. I think that uh, JJ McCarthy was really flustered. By that three-three-five defense, they gave him a lot of unique looks that he wasn't very used to seeing, and I really think that's where he struggled. But where he also struggled was his lack of a number one receiving option really hurt him in spots. Ohio State very often in that game against Georgia leaned on Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, where if it was a crucial third down or a, a fourth and long or a third and long, rather, throw it up to 18 try to let him make a play Michigan doesn't have anyone like that and JJ really had to throw the ball for the entire game and he played very well you know 343 yards but I think a number one receiving option really could have put him over the top in this game and helped him lead them to victory because on those final drives where they were kind of having to rush they didn't have that big playmaker that could change the tide of the game in one play and I again I really think TCU was able to take advantage of that with that 3-3-5 defense, just sit back and let McCarthy make mistakes. Now, where the Frogs really succeeded in this game, aside from that, is up front. This game was a complete and total destruction of Michigan's offensive and defensive lines. This was odd to watch after Michigan had just physically dominated every single team they played this year. I mean, Kendra Miller, before he went out with an injury, 7.1 yards per carry. Amari DiMercato, 8.8 yards per carry. He had 17 carries for 150 yards and a touchdown. Nobody does that to Michigan. Nobody. And I think, in large part, TCU's success on the ground had to do a lot with that spread style of offense that they run. I mean, Michigan, at many points in that game, because TCU was lining up three and four wide, they were moving guys around the field. A lot of the times, Michigan only had one or two guys in the middle of the field, one linebacker. You know, sometimes their their hybrid player would, would roam into the middle, but Di Mercado and Miller really had free reign when running up the gut because Michigan's defense was spread thin by TCU's receivers, and they're not really used to offenses doing that to them. They're used to the Big Ten, you know, crowd the box four yards in a cloud of dust throw it to your tight end a kind of offense and tcu again really threw something at them that they weren't used to seeing and i think that's why their run game was so successful now on the other hand um d winters and dylan horton on the defensive line just broke this game i mean horton with four sacks winters with the pick six he was all over the place he had seven tackles three tackles for loss a touchdown Might have been one of the best defensive performances we've seen in college football all year. They did not let J.J. McCarthy get comfortable. They completely annihilated Michigan's offensive line in this one. Like I said, McCarthy gets sacked four times. Again, uncharacteristic for Michigan. TCU did a great job of making Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines uncomfortable. So that's what I took away from these two semifinal games. Now, without further ado, let's jump in to the National Championship Game Preview. Let's go. All right, Georgia and TCU. It all comes down to this, and I think this is going to be a very great college football playoff National Championship. Monday night, live from SoFi Stadium, Inglewood, California. 7.30 kick, Georgia favored by 12.5 points right now, and the over-under sitting at 62 and a half. So a couple quick notes. This is the first time in the college football playoff era where one of these outlier Cinderella kind of teams has reached the national championship game. I mean, TCU is now the first team that was unranked in the preseason to reach the national championship game. And they're only the seventh ever team to reach the game, which is why I say they're the first real outlier to do so. Because if you look at all the other teams, Alabama with six appearances, Clemson with four, Georgia with three, Ohio State with two, and then LSU and Oregon with one apiece. That's it. Those are the only teams that have reached the game. So for TCU to get here is completely unprecedented. To me, that is the biggest storyline coming into this game. And to me, something else that people aren't really giving any thought to is the fact that these two teams are very similar you know they both play that kind of three down lineman type defense they both have quarterbacks who not necessarily the most athletic guys but they can make plays with their legs at times they're both dominant up front on the offensive line running the football but for as similar as these two teams are they have reached this game in completely different ways you look at georgia Plus 24 points per game this year in scoring margin. TCU is just plus 12. They had to come back in over half their games and come from behind to win. Georgia with 15 five-stars, 53 four-stars on their team. Meanwhile, TCU with one five-star, that's Quentin Johnston, and 16 four-stars. So this is the biggest David and Goliath story that we've had. In a national championship game and I think there's a lot of ways that this can unfold because of the way these two teams like to play football so let's get into that so first on Georgia looking to win the national title back-to-back for just the 10th time in history only 10 teams have done it in the modern era and by the way only four of those teams won outright back-to-back national titles the other six needed to do it by way of a split title So that just puts into perspective how rare and unprecedented what Georgia is doing is. With that being said, however, we kind of talked about it in the last podcast about how Georgia has not been nearly as dominant this year as they were last year on the road to the national championship. This defense has really... Really fallen short the past couple games, and Stetson Bennett in the offense had, uh, had to be there to bail them out. You look at the SEC championship and the college football playoff semifinal, they've given up 850 passing yards and seven touchdowns, and that's mainly because their pass rush has not been nearly as good as we're used to. Quarterbacks are getting a lot of time to throw it against this team, which has caused Georgia to really be more aggressive and blitzing in getting after the quarterback. And that's something TCU really, really excelled against when they played Michigan. Michigan got burnt by these blitzes. TCU's offensive line, like we said, has only given up seven sacks all year. I don't think Georgia is going to be able to rush seven or eight guys against this TCU offense with the way they're able to spread the field. If you want to beat TCU, you're going to have to do it by rushing three or four. So that's one thing you should definitely look out for early on with this Georgia team is how often they're rushing the quarterback, how often they're stacking the box, because it's something that can be very difficult to do against this TCU team. Now, where the defense has faltered lately for Georgia, the offense has definitely picked things up. I mean, You saw it in the Ohio State game. Stetson Bennett now averaging 8.3 yards per drop back, well above the rate he was at last year. He has transcended the game manager role and really turned in to a superstar quarterback that's capable of taking over a game. And I feel like that's exactly uh, what you saw against Ohio State in that game. Georgia excels at stretching the field this year. Their vertical passing game, Probably the best in the nation with guys like Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkie. And also when they get Kenny McIntosh involved out of the backfield, they have a lot of speed that can get to the outside or through the middle of the field quicker than your guys can. You see it with Brock Bowers all the time. That blend of speed and physicality that nearly everyone in this Georgia offense possesses can be very tough to guard against a finesse defense like TCU. Now, that in itself is scary because we've always known that Georgia is able to stretch the field vertically, but where they've excelled this year with Todd Munkin and company is spreading the field horizontally. The man ball spread excels at getting big guys in space with a lot of blocking. Georgia throws 32 of their passes at or behind the line of scrimmage this season That is an absurd rate. Their goal is to get you in space and get as many guys in front of you as possible if you're a guy like Bowers or McIntosh or McConkie. Georgia is trying to kill you with both their blend of speed and physicality. And what this offense allows you to do is combine those into one play. And that's what makes this offense truly unique is Georgia is not stretching you out with several speedy wide receivers. No, they're spreading you out with multiple tight ends. Georgia deploys at least two tight ends on 64% of their offensive snaps this season. That's the fifth most in college football. And they've deployed four or more receivers zero times. They have not done it once. The The goal of this offense is not to get your fast receiver outside It's to get your big tight end that's tough to tackle outside. And I don't know if TCU has ever handled anything like this before. It's going to be very interesting to see how they tackle and how they beat these blocking schemes early on. So now moving on to TCU's offense. Georgia's defense has been shoddy lately, but does TCU have what it takes to burn them? And from what we've seen, it really looks like they do. I mean... You saw how Georgia gave up big plays against Emeka Igbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. last game. C.J. Stroud only attempted or completed 28% of his passes, 15 or more yards downfield. Max Duggan does that 48% of the time. 48% of his completions are 15-plus yards downfield. That's well above the national average of 35%. Max Duggan stretches you vertically. He's perfectly comfortable with letting Quentin Johnston go up there and get it against your corners because, quite frankly, no one's been able to prove him otherwise this year. Georgia has to beware the deep ball because the great thing about this TCU offense and what Garrett Riley does is no matter how many times you stop them, they have the type of offense that can change the the flow of a game in one play. That's tough to account for no matter how good your defense is and no matter how good they're playing. The other thing that, ha- that Georgia has to be wary about, and we've already kind of mentioned it multiple times, is their performance up front. Because what TCU's spread offense does is it leaves gaping holes in the middle of the field for Di and Miller to exploit when they run these draw plays and misdirection plays and dive plays that they ran against Michigan. TCU was able to get explosive plays on the ground when 90% of their runs We're in between the tackles. You don't see that very often, but TCU has excelled this year because of the kind of space that this spread concept and those receivers can give them. So overall, TCU's balance makes them a very tough team to prepare for. Normally, when you see teams that run that spread offense concept that Garrett Riley does, they are a team that throws the ball 50 times a game. They run a lot of um, RPO-type concepts. They air it out big plays downfield. But what TCU has done is they have completely balanced out that offensive attack. They carried the ball more than 40 times in six games this year. No other team in the big 12 can say they've done that. So TCU is a very tough team to prepare for on offense, especially for a struggling defense like Georgia because of the versatility and unpredictability that they bring to the table. So lastly, we have the TCU defense now and This is, to me, one of the more interesting points of this game, because like we said in the recap of the Fiesta Bowl, TCU really was able to stack the box, play physical against Michigan, sell out to stop the run, and dominate Michigan's offensive line. I don't know how well that is going to work against a team like Georgia. See, what TCU did in the Michigan game was really leave their secondary exposed and say, all right, we're gonna make J.J. McCarthy beat us, we're gonna make Michigan's receivers beat us, and that largely worked because Michigan's lack of outside weapons really came back to bite them. Georgia has no lack of outside weapons, and they have no lack of a capable quarterback in Stetson Bennett. So I don't necessarily know if the strategy's gonna be the same up front, but if it is, I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how this defense react. To What Georgia is And they're really just Michigan on steroids They're a more physical team They're a bigger team, they're a faster team And that's what both of these teams rely on Is pure speed And to me that's probably the second most Interesting thing about this game is who comes out faster because both of these teams, like we said, they live and die by being faster than their opponent, by exposing them with speed. You saw that with TCU in the Michigan game. You saw that with Georgia in the SEC championship and in the later parts of the Ohio state game going to be very interesting to see. I absolutely cannot wait that's all we have for the preview, folks. As always, thank you for, tu- for tuning into the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. I look forward to seeing you next Friday. We're going to be recapping this game. We're going to be talking everything national championship, what it means going forward. I can't wait. Always remember, you can find us on Instagram at StudentSectionCFB. You can find us online at thestudentsection.net. Subscribe to the show. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms rate the show, share it with your friends, download and click the follow button. And remember, folks, whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers this week, enjoy the game. Let's do it. Happy National Championship weekend.